0: Hello, I'm Julie Bindle. And this week I'm speaking with the philosopher Nina Power.
1: What liberal feminism seems to have become is like the the permission to hate men as a class, which I think leads to women actually ignoring the reality of their life, which is to say most of their interactions with men are neutral to good.
0: Earlier this year, she published a book provocatively entitled, what do men want? She seems to be looking at how we can perhaps end the battle of the sexes, that old trope. Anyway, those of you that know my work and know Nina's work will probably have guessed that we won't agree on everything. But we do agree on some things and it was brilliant talking with her. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Nina Power, what a treat to talk to you.
1: Well, and you, Julie. I, amazing.
0: It's great. I mean, we've had conversations over the years here and there, haven't we? We've bumped into each other at literary festivals or pubs or wherever we happen to be. And, uh, and now you've got this book that I fundamentally disagree with in part and <laughs> massively appreciate in others, but overall... Everyone should read this book because we need new perspectives coming from feminists and coming from those on the left particularly. And I think that the main thing that I want to say about this is that we share an optimism. We share an optimism about men, and I think that that's why feminism is a gift to men, not a threat. But let's start with that provocative take, because already our listeners will be screaming, maybe some of them will be clapping, I don't know, Okay, let me start off by asking you this. If you could sum up the overriding argument in your book, what would that be?
1: Well, the first line says men and women exist. So I think it's something to do with the ineliminability of the existence of men and women um, and our need to work out ways of living together that are more harmonious for both of the sexes. Um, And of course, this presupposes that sex is real and sex is important, which is something that we've seen. Um, attacked from the the supposed left. Um, I don't think they're really left. I think they're authoritarians. Um, right. But um, I think yeah. So so it's basically a, an attempt to be reasonable and try to think about a way we can live together more harmoniously. Whether that's whether whether women are in heterosexual relationships with men or simply as friends or family members. So it's not. Um, it's not normative in that sense I'm not saying you know women should be with men I'm saying that we encounter each other all the time in the world most of the time in a kind of hetero social way like it's a mixed world um, and we can't live separately so uh, and I also want to put the ball back in men's court and to say men need to think of themselves more as members of a class uh, um, a class of men based on their on their sex and that they need to take more responsibility for themselves and each other because it's not women's job to do that
0: and that's another point that I fundamentally agree with you on that men are a class but that we don't say that each individual man oppresses each individual woman because that would be ridiculous wouldn't it so it's like for like it's it's about in my view and I don't know if you share this it's about oppression structural oppression as opposed to day-to-day, men are bastards
1: oppression? Sure. I mean, I'm a bit wary of using this language of structure because I think it has been used opportunistically and inaccurately in recent years. Um, And I think we've seen people claiming oppression where they're not actually suffering oppression. And I think there's something problematic about that kind of language that sometimes it disguises what we're really talking about. Um, so I try to avoid that use of structural and I try to make it more, more, in a way, moral, more practical, more kind of reasonable and, and day-to-day. Um, and in that sense, I think its provocation is the fact that it's actually quite in the centre, like it's quite a middle uh, position. But I thought, given the polemics of recent years, particularly coming from the authoritarian um, position... Um, that it would actually be important to have this kind of more sensible, reasonable, middle ground discussion.
0: But having said that, you then say in your introduction, this is about small numbers of men who were bastards, oppressive, abusive, arseholes, whatever. It's not small numbers of men though, is it?
1: Well, okay, so part of my reason for writing the book is a, a kind of personal reflection on the good men in my life, right? So there are there are indeed good men, like my father is a truly amazing man and a role model, my brother's a good man, he's a good father, I have a lot of male friends, I spend a lot of my time with men, and I I thought that there was something very strange going on in this kind of liberal media discourse, which was almost like a kind of weird version of the stereotype of second wave feminists, which they never actually were, which is to say these sort of angry man hating, right, this was a stereotype I'm sure you're fully aware of. Um, but what liberal feminism um, seems to have become is like the, the permission to hate men as a class um, and, and which I think leads to women actually ignoring the reality of their life, which is to say most of their interactions with men are neutral to good, they're not. So I do make it clear, I would say that, that you know, the vast overwhelming amount, percentage of interpersonal violence is male, is male, of course it is. Everybody knows this. I think we're trying to work out in different ways how to prevent that. Everybody wants to stop male violence, whether it's against women, and or against each other or against themselves and i talk about male suicide um and my way of doing that which i i think maybe we might differ on is to say look men have to have the possibility of being good and what we need to encourage is not this kind of slamming of men which often pushes them into extreme positions where they say right okay well i i'm not going to play the game at all and i'm going to be alienated and atomized and i'm going to hate the world but rather to say, no, it's in the capacity of all of us, women included, to be better. And we have to have a society that encourages men to be good and to be rewarded for, for, for good behaviour. Uh, I don't mean in some patronising way, but to create a culture, in fact, we're all that we can all be better um, and to have more male guidance so that we don't end up with men thinking it's OK to be violent, if you see what I mean. So, But I, I don't think I downplay male violence. i tried to be very clear about that that this is the reality, you know, that's that's what it is.
0: I absolutely do understand what you mean, and I'm not sure that I agree with it, because I think it sounds a little bit like almost a passive-aggressive emotional blackmail that you are second-guessing. Let me put that a different way. Um, If we don't say to men, you're lovely, we love you, we'll forgive you, we'll live with you happily, we'll make more concessions, you might rape and kill us you will be bad men, And if we don't actually cut you a load of slack, then we'll be punished for it. And the, the argument that I think maybe runs parallel to that, which I take a very different view on, is about whole life sentences in prison. So as a, a, a law reform campaigner um, that would empty our prisons of almost everyone, certainly almost all women, and any men that don't pose a threat to others. By imposing a whole life sentence, you're saying to them, do what you like, kill all the prison officers, beat up your cellmates, cause absolute havoc, take as many risks as you like, play out the violence that you want, because we're keeping you in prison forever. Now, I actually think that that's a really sound argument against whole life sentences. Mm -hmm. But I still think that some prisoners, unfortunately, will never be safe to be released. On the other hand, when I think that what you're putting forward is the argument that if men don't have an incentive, if men aren't told that they are good, that we forgive them, that all the bad press about them is just bad press, then they may as well go on the rampage. Have I got that wrong?
1: No, well, I, th- I think it's it's a, we're, we're swinging a bit to too, um, too extremes. So, I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is... This is one way of thinking about this is about prevention. And it's not saying that men are good. It's saying that men can be good. And that, you know, like we all do, we need encouragement, we need... You know, uh, a society and a culture that recognizes that possibility. Because I think simply condemning men on the basis of their sex, which, after all, they can't help, just as, you know, it's not my choice that I was born a woman, I am a woman, <laughs> and everything about me right. is female. Um, you know, that's what I mean about men exist. I mean, I, you know, sorry to be so absolutely uh, simplistic, but I think it's, it's bizarre that we live in a, in a time in which we have to restate these absolutely fundamental, obvious things. Um, it's very important that we recognize sex right sex is extremely relevant in in many areas of life right including the legal and the social in many aspects so i i think one of the the interesting thing may maybe comes in relation to the law so you're talking about whole life sentences i'm actually quite interested in what it would mean for men to police other men right and there's a kind of tension between what i'm saying about men as a as a class as a sex class and where we place the responsibility in terms of, you know, saying, well, the law should punish men for what they do when they do wrong. I don't disagree, but there is perhaps another kind of more social aspect to this, which is maybe where my curiosity lies, which is what if we had a culture in which men took more responsibility, like I say, for each other, and if they see a man that they know kind of going wrong or going off the rails or entertaining really terrible views or becoming more and more violent or... Getting out of control, and we can all be messed up at points. We can all get into bad states. It, it happens, you know. I've I've had terrible phases. I, you know, people I know have gone through terrible situations. So I think um, what what I'm kind of interested in, and I said this on Radio Four to Helen Lewis, and she immediately shut it down and said that Radio Four couldn't possibly defend what I was saying. But I I started to argue that um, well, if men, if you like, I don't know, take the Sarah Everard, the horrific case you know, his colleagues knew that he was a wrong one, right? They knew, they, they called him the rapist, right? right? Yeah. So they knew and, and that he had these terrible views, that his was, behaviour was already appalling. Um, you know, what about a situation in which men therefore thought this man is making the rest of us look bad and he's posing a danger to women and we should do something about it? right and i i again this is gets complicated because you know i it sounds a little bit implicitly like i'm advocating vigilante justice which is obviously sometimes what happens in prison when uh, male prisoners uh, attack men who've um hurt children right um and i i i'm not going quite that far but i do think there's a question we should ask which is to do with You know, where does the law take responsibility for the consequences of bad male behaviour? And where do we preemptively, socially, especially men or particularly men, try to prevent that behaviour by creating better role models, by better, you know, creating better expectations and saying, look, you don't have to be bad, you can be good. Look, here's how we do it. Um, But also uh, perhaps intervening um, before the state does, right, in order to, again, protect women and children in particular from where men can recognise other men. And one of the interesting things when I was doing the book, researching the book and talking to my male friends and so on, was a lot of them said women have no idea how awful male desire is, right? Women, it's very hard for women to imagine how dark men's desire can get. They
0: mean sexual desire or desire to hurt women?
1: Largely sexual, but I think they they you know it was often kind of you know and the and i don't know even very like civilized men let's say i think have an awareness of the darkness of other men right that maybe sometimes women don't. And i probably include myself in that. So obviously I said at the beginning of the book, there's a limit to what I can say about men. And of course it's kind of cheeky and provocative to even write this book. And I did it as a joke partly about Freud because Freud famously says, what does woman want? And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if a woman wrote a book called What Do Men Want? Um... And so I did walk around asking men (laughs) what they wanted and they said things like a shed and a beer and pussy or to be left alone. And, um, you know, and then I did this kind of deeper sort of social um, philosophical um, analysis. But I I do wonder about this fundamental difference, you know, these differences between men and women and how we come to terms with them. And these might include the male propensity towards, let's say, violence towards dark sexual desires and obviously we're living in the current moment in the face of the once again of the demand that certain desires be recognized and not just recognized but kind of validated you know so i
0: i understand what you mean about men intervening i wish men would intervene whether you meant or whether this could be misconstrued as a kind of vigilante type of violence is another issue people will take from this conversation what they want but But I know growing up on a working class housing estate where police didn't give a damn about violence against women and girls and they didn't give a damn about much that was happening on that estate. Often, you know, my brothers would step in if there were things to sort out with bullies at school and the like. And it's not something that I want to see normalised. I want proper policing a proper criminal justice system I don't want a harsh one I don't want a punitive one I want a system that actually works in preventing violence and protecting women and girls when it does happen but but having said that I think that there is a way in which we are returning to a biological determinism that's worrying me Mm-hmm. With the with the absolutely sound and necessary deep dive into, well, is it all really social construction? You know, did the feminists of the 60s and 70s get it right? Is it really the case that there's no differences between men and women except for the obvious genitalia and reproductive um, issues? And And I do think that we went too far, those of us, those feminists that said, that dismissed difference... And refuse to kind of acknowledge that difference can be there, but it can never be an excuse for sexual violence. And anyway, humans evolve and whatever the myth about the cavemen dragging women by the hair, um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant when we look at evolution and the way that we're now expected to behave as human beings under our particular legal systems. But there are, there are a number of books, and I would include yours in this, that are, I think, veering into slightly dangerous territory of tipping the balance the other way and focusing on innate differences between men and women that actually do the opposite of what I also recognise you do in your book, which is an optimistic take. And it's a politics of inevitability. It's the well, look, this is men, that's what they're going to do, this is how we need to kind of prevent it and avoid it and maybe minimise. Would you say that that's fair, that your book falls within... That, that new
1: genre? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I can see why you're, you know, I can see your concern and I understand what you're saying in the broader context of perhaps a return to kind of ideas of evolutionary psychology and so on. And my book is not that, right? I'm interested in social behaviour, cultural behaviour, even aesthetics and, and, you know, the question of the history of the relationship between men and women. So I'm not, you know, and I'm not coming at it from a scientific point of view or even translating science into cultural language, right? That would just be sort of bad i i think maybe where i'm coming from you know as someone who was a teenager in the 90s i was personally as as were all the women in my generation i would say a beneficiary of the second wave right like so by the time we were at school uh, whether it's primary school and secondary school and i grew up in the countryside very you know not not this is before the internet as well like very nice sort of um gentle place backwards in some ways compared to the cities no doubt but even there you know, we, we had this experience where, as girls and as young women, we were told, um, you know, rather fantastically, look, you know, yes, you're a girl, you're a woman, but, but that doesn't mean anything. You can be whatever you want, right? You can be interested in these things that were typically associated with men. You can wear what you like. You can, you know, I wore men's clo- clothes, in heavily inverted commas, until I was 23, and not no single person ever said, oh, do you think that means you're a, a boy, right? You know, lots of girls are tomboys. My interests were always quote-unquote masculine-coded, right? I mean, I hate this language. But no-one no one cared. It was brilliant, you know, and we had a freedom. And I think since the 90s, and or maybe some point in the 2000s, something went very badly backwards and very badly wrong, and all these people pretending to be progressive are actually extremely regressive, and they're kind of picking up on these, you know, they're returning to stereotypes.
0: Couldn't agree more. I mean, that is what's driving me mad. That what... The feminism that we built up about what they would now call gender nonconformity which was girls should have the freedom to dress as they wish as should boys and now it's seen as well trot you down the gender clinic you're clearly the opposite sex.
1: Right so something has gone wrong so what I wanted to build on that was I'm very very influenced by that and I really strongly believe that like you know this is about character and personality and both boys and girls and men and women should be absolutely free to express themselves and not you know not be hemmed in right that was the project right it was all about smashing down those stereotypes and I think the second wave therefore was also good for boys and men because it was also saying to them you don't have to live up to these kind of terrible you know narrow stereotypes of masculinity um and also it's good for gay men and women you know it's like you don't have to be hidebound by these kind of constraints so I I think that I'm uh, you know I think you know part of the moment we're in though is that this kind of complete a uh, desire to not recognise sex as real at all, where, whereas I think the 90s position, which was like, yes, sex is real, this is what happens to you if you're female, you have periods, you you know, you you are... Where sex is salient, it's important to recognise it, but that doesn't tell you anything about the kind of person you can be or you want to be, or your interests, or or who you love, or, you know, your skills and your talents. That's up to you. So I think somewhere in the middle, like we have to be somewhere in the middle. We have to say sex is real and it matters, you know, but it doesn't determine, right? Of course there are differences between men and women, right? They're, they are important in some instances, but what's more important, I think, is like character development, you know, the way we hold ourselves, you know, whether we're able to pursue our interests and, you know, hopefully be even employed for things that we enjoy doing.
0: We We agree, we agree on this. I mean, you know... Biological determinism is—it's never been good for women. It's been good for men. And I think that essentialism that has been creeping into, not feminism, because I hesitate to call it feminism, but critiques, for example, of gender ideology. Not all women and men that critique extreme gender ideology are feminists or pro feminist Some of them actually are quite conservative or even reactionary. And just think men are men, women are women, lesbians and gays are a bit weird, and actually we don't want those those perverts, meaning trans people, in our bathrooms. That's not the position I take, and I know it's not the position that you take. So somehow, it's got all muddled up, that people that are supposedly on our side, which I would refute, uh, because they're critiquing gender ideology, are then going the opposite way and saying only biological sex matters. Well, that isn't the project of feminism, is it?
1: No, for sure. And I think, it again, it's this kind of walking this complicated path. And, and, and I agree that we have to also look at where feminism has taken a wrong turn. You know, taking up the word gender uh, from John Money was a terrible mistake. <laughs> You know, it's caused all kinds of confusion. Um and it's, you know, again, it's the second wave is also not what people say it was. It's a whole variety of different things, right? Like they were socialist, feminists, Marxist, feminists, radical feminists, you know, and so on and so forth, right? And I think we have to be careful not to kind of reduce different periods to one single um stereotype. Um, same on abortion, you know, there have been multiple different feminist positions on abortion throughout um the 20th and 21st century. Um, And I think we somehow live in this kind of lib femme uh, history erasing moment where it's like, oh, you can't talk about the past. You can't read Mary Daly. You can't read these terrible old turfs, you know. And it's like, no, no, of course you can. (laughs) And actually, there's lots of disagreement. Um, And I I, I think I think, though, where I might push back a little bit is to say, well, look, if there are women who want to. get married and have children and 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 you know in a way be kind of more traditional or more conservative i mean that's a reality too some women do want that you know and i think if we say look the, the this is about breaking down stereotypes we also have to accept that some women want to do those things you know and there's nothing wrong with that in fact it's kind of great
0: totally and you know the thing is that we we are not in the business and when i say we i mean feminist activists are not in the business of dictating to women what we should and shouldn't do but it doesn't mean that we can't have a healthy critique of systems that actually push us into those traditional roles and and real freedom for women would give us would give us a a a range of choices and I don't think we've got that real freedom but just one thing I wanted to say is that I think that certainly from my uh, type of feminist activism feminist theoretical standpoint we took the the notion of gender as a concept from Simone de Beauvoir, and sure. not from John Money. John Money, I find hugely problematic, that whole discussion and debate. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I think that what the, why gender was helpful, um, and I joined the women's movement right at the very, very end of the 70s as a teenager, but I came to it when gender had been a concept that feminists had found really useful at the foundation and throughout the women's liberation movement because it differentiated between our biological sex and the reality of that biological sex and sex stereotypes imposed upon us which by which we meant gender now queer theory in my view and you might have a different take on this queer theory came along in universities and the like and completely distorted it judith butler the most overrated academic yeah. and theorist on the planet then decided this meant that everything was a floating signifier, everything was a social construct, nothing was rooted in reality, and we can fuck gender. Well, many of us wanted to get rid of gender, not fuck it or fuck with it.
1: No, no, I agree with you about queer theory completely and about Judith Butler. I think she's kind of like history's greatest and worst pick-me, you know, and actually lots of the way she, she represents French feminism she actually takes up lots of their ideas and pretends she's critiquing it by using the very ideas that she's just nicked. Um, And I think, so I completely agree on that point. I think, you know, very bad turn taken there. And, you know, obviously I was an academic and I left academia (laughs) Um, and, you know, in order to think again. It's an interesting point you make about de Beauvoir, but I think, you know, for, for the existentialists, you know, facticity such as where you're born and the sex you're born into and what year you're born in. Though like those are the facts of life and and what you choose to do with them is up to you. And I think people not not you, I'm sure, but the you know, when de Beauvoir talks about becoming, people sometimes take that quote up, you know, one is not born but becomes a woman in exactly the wrong way. You know, she 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 doesn't mean therefore that like, you know, being a woman is is merely a matter of like becoming, you know, it's 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 a reality. I mean, she starts with the kind of, near the beginning of the book, biological reality. Like, these are the things that are true, but that doesn't tell you anything about how you then live out your life and how you feel about your biology.
0: I'm so, so glad that you raised that quote, the most misused quote when it comes to this issue. (laughs) And in fact, the the legal feminist scholar, Catherine McKinnon, who's done some outstanding, groundbreaking work, um, has also... Just completely subverted that into a trans rights mantra, and that's uh, so depressing. It's very depressing, and you know she is, um, she is yeah. someone who's who's done incredible work and mm-hmm. knows knows fine well what biological sex is and how, um, sex stereotypes are used against us to disastrous effect in the law and 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 wider, broader than that, and you know she has she has really, in my view, betrayed the. Um, the meaning of that that phrase, that word, that concept, and has just run away with it in order, I think, in my view, to to avoid the slings and arrows from the trans-activists, but...
1: Does she still have an academic post? Yeah, yeah, she does. Well, well, there you are then.
0: I, I think there I am, and, you know, it, it's it's deeply, deeply depressing, and, you know, I have this phrase that goes around in my head, you know, my, my old friend, the late Andrea Dworkin, um, I think would be spinning in her grave uh, because she worked with McKinnon, uh and, and she's too been subverted uh, in death as some kind of yeah. early trans activist and you know the, the thing about Andrew Dorkin, the thing about me about you, about those of us that have campaigned to end inequality and oppression uh, and, and hardship uh, are clearly supportive of trans people as individuals, of trans gender people's rights and would stand in front of them to take the slings and arrows but we're against transgender ideology and, and gender ideology and why some people won't actually see that why they think that all of a sudden we've all turned into nazis and bigots Well,
1: they don't really think that i mean obviously i get called a fascist on a daily basis despite not having any right-wing views or any views that would put me in line with mussolini or hitler I'm certainly not into corporatism or nationalism or you know or war, uh, <laughs> kind of against it. I know you? it's
0: crazy, and they always go straight for Hitler. It's never a mid-range dictator. And I mean, you 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 say um, you say that separatism isn't the answer. This is another point that we agree on, but I didn't always agree with that. I think as a young woman, as a young feminist, a very angry woman who had who was seeking a solution to male violence and was surrounded at the time by blatant misogyny because it was during the hunt for the so-called Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, where the media portrayal of the women who he was murdering and the the police investigation and the slant on that, deserving victims, undeserving victims, was horrific. And so there was a time in my youth that I wouldn't even get on a bus if a man was driving it. I wouldn't go into a grocery shop and buy something from a man because I was so separatist. If a man, and I lived in Yorkshire, so common parlance is love, men even call each other love, I would get very, very angry. I remember wearing a badge, do not assume I'm heterosexual, and some bloke coming up to me saying, don't worry, love, we wouldn't. I mean, really funny to look back on now, and separatism absolutely is not the answer. Not at all. In fact, I get quite cross with women that want to give up and go and live on women's land and think that that's their contribution. But, but what about those women, mainly lesbians, but not only lesbians, that do not want men in their lives, that don't romanticise the ideal yeah. man, that, that that haven't had, as you have said in your book, you said that that the men in your life, um, I think the phrase you used was good to wonderful that's that's quite unusual i think and and also i mean it's really heartwarming but what about the women that have not yeah. had that experience
1: let me be clear i mean part of my commitment to the reality of sex is also to the commitment of sex sex segregated spaces right and that that would include in public life in but also in choice right so I have nothing but admiration and support for women who choose to live with other women, who only want to associate with other women, who even, you know, who, like you say, I've heard about these amazing compounds in America where it's, like, women only and, you know, women have guns and they protect their land and they just stay with each other. And, of course, like, (laughs) but it's it's amazing. Like, I think this is really cool. And as we've seen, you know, when women have music festivals, for example, when they try to have single-sex spaces some men really don't like it and they want to encroach on them. And I would absolutely defend women's right to have private single sex spaces. And I do think there's a different quality of being when you're a woman and you're with other women, right? Like there's something very beautiful and amazing about that. And you know, yes, I spend most of my life in a very male world, working with men and and hanging out with men. But I do also have groups of female friends and I see on my own. And it's a separate special thing and I wouldn't want men to be there (laughs) so I think when we're talking about freedom of expression we're also talking about freedom of association right and I think we all have the right to choose who we spend our time with we don't always have a choice in the wider world of course when we're walking around the world we're in this heterosocial mixed world and we have to kind of work out how we feel about that which is where I begin the book but I at the same time I do think both for men as well. I think it's good for men to hang out with each other. I think it's good for women to hang out with each other. And I don't like the fact that that's becoming harder and harder and harder.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite something that we're now having to fight for the, the very necessary laws and rights and policies uh, that actually passed... Once we've got over the hurdle of saying we're women, we have the right to vote, we have the right to autonomy, passed without huge amounts of hostility men even if they didn't like it understood why we needed those single sex facilities because there's enough men doing harm to women threatening harm to women and girls that we needed that and now look now look at what we're having to fight against but I, I admire your your optimism like I say I, I kind of I share an optimism maybe i phrase it very differently to how you do and i think that we've got far far um further to go before we get to a a truth and reconciliation point which i think is what you were kind of saying in your conclusion yeah i mean it, it it's very much a it, it's about forgiveness but it's also about how do we how do we heal the trauma patch the um patch the damage is that fair
1: Yes. I mean, I think, you know, one thing, and this is maybe a, a broader kind of humanistic, socialistic point, is like, you know, we do have to live together even where we need these separate spaces. And I, you know, I totally take your point completely and I agree with you about women, especially if they've been hurt by men, have every right to not be around men, right? And this is also really, really important. Um, and But also, even apart from that, women even if they like men, have the right to have their own spaces, even if they've, right. you know, it's, it's a matter of choice and preference. And, and you, you know, we should all be allowed those. Um, and if, for example, gentlemen's club that have let women in say, you know, all right, well, let's go back to keeping it a man's club. I, I would swap that for women's spaces. It's <laughs> not that we're gonna have this ground table negotiation, but you know <laughs> I you know, I think it's a very difficult um civil and social balance. But, you know, we've gone far too far down a mad road. Um, you know, and we need a bit of realism. And I think one of the reasons why I talk about reconciliation at the end, I'm obviously talking about a kind of post-me too climate and but it's also about a model of suffering you know and i want to say look men suffer too and i think a lot of the rhetoric in recent years again has been to say oh men don't really suffer they've got structural privilege and oh if they do suffer it's a good thing you know and this kind of it's a very limited model of um of of suffering you know it's like saying well only some groups suffer some of the time and we should privilege those and like i say i think that that move has been hijacked by, by people who are not actually oppressed, but they, they see the value narcissistically in pretending to be, right? And this is also a major problem <laughs> we've got. Yeah. Um, so I think, again, to say everybody suffers, but they suffer differently, um, that's a better way of doing it. And to say, look, we've got to live with each other. How are we going to do it in a way that's harmonious um, as possible? And that, you know, not everybody can be happy all the time but we can try and be as happy as we can be together. Which I sound, which sounds naive, I know, in some ways. Well,
0: I, I've i been accused of of um, relying too much on utopian visions and how, how can you possibly see a world without prostitution? How can you end rape? Well, of course you can, and of course you've got to have yeah. a utopian vision. You've got to see that world in order to fight for it, and I very much believe that. But here's my dilemma, and here's where you and I probably differ i think that feminism is a gift to men most men are hostile towards it very many women are most men misunderstand it certainly there would be sacrifices and they would lose things if feminism achieved its goals and by which i mean real feminism i mean a feminism that benefits women first and foremost and yet so i want to say to men feminism is actually a gift to you it will enrich your lives but i don't want them to take over i don't want them to call themselves feminists i don't want them to sit at the top table and i do not want them to be given keynote speaking
1: no i agree what
0: what what the hell do we do? how do we kind of how do we say you you please engage with this as the only social justice movement on the planet that centers women and girls please engage with it and but please don't take over it and think that this is yet another opportunity for you yeah. to to get your cock out and wave it around.
1: <laughs> yes, I completely agree. I I you know I, there's nothing worse than a male feminist. You know and there are many of them on the left. Um, they probably stop pretending now because they realise it's kind of productive. But
0: um,
1: no, I mean look, obviously I completely agree with that, and I think you know I'm I'm so I was sort of blindsided by this kind of erasing of women and pushing women aside and men's, you know, I mean, maybe it was naive as well, but I mean, yeah, what what's happened to femi- feminism? It's like feminism seems to be the only sort of civil rights movement that doesn't have itself doesn't have itself at the centre. It's like very strange. So, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think, so So one maybe way of thinking about this is to you know, and maybe this is yeah, perhaps where we might slightly differ is, is I think um to, to of course, say that feminism is also to men's advantage, which is what I think, or not to their advantage, but it's also good for men in the sense that, for example, like when we were talking about the second wave and the trickle-down effect and the opening up, you know, breaking of gender with a view to abolishing it, you know, in terms of these social expectations, right? That's also good for boys and men. And I think we were seeing that in the 90s. It was all going quite well. Uh, it's a shame it didn't keep going that direction because um, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> And, and um, you know, so that's I'm sort of stuck in the '90s or the '70s '90s. That's fine. Uh, most of the thinkers I like are from the '70s. People like Illich and and so on. And that's that's you know, I think people were really thinking also in feminism. It was the most fertile time um, in terms of what the you know really deep philosophical questions, historical questions, cosmic questions. Um, so, yeah, I think the way in which trying to get men to, well, in the first place, I suppose, understand that they are human and women are human (laughs) and that we're both sort of thrown into this universe. Right. And, and I think it's also a problem when either sex thinks that the other sex is the answer or the solution to the riddle of the universe. Mm -hmm. Right. This is very complicated thing, but you know, we we're also living in a very romantic culture or kind of fake commercial romantic culture, which sort of um, tells women that the solution to their problems lies in a man and you know and and then women are disappointed when surprise surprise men turn out to be human and you know rubbish as well and similarly the fetishization of of women you know especially among young men who don't really have access to women or are socially awkward or whatever is also dangerous right it's I think there's a kind of realism which is like I used to love there was this badge you mentioned a badge before like I think probably from the 90s where it said when when did that book uh, men are from Mars women are from Venus and there was a badge that said men are from where men are from Earth women are from Earth get over it right and i thought yes exactly so (laughs) i think this idea if we can start to see each other as human and as flawed and as you know potentially capable of good but also of of harm you know and we understand each other in our difference and we recognize existence of the other you know that's sort of a first stage and that's a kind of you know psychoanalytic humanism or something like that like a socialism of of uh, what it means to be on earth um and i yeah i think (sighs) That's part of the project and that would involve speaking to people that you disagree with and that's part of my bigger philosophical project. Um anyway, and just because also I think dialogue's been shut down (laughs) in left, right and centre, literally. Uh, And and
0: it's it's starting to backfire because I find myself increasingly um needing to speak with people that I quite fundamentally disagree with. We all have a line in the sand. Um, I don't want to talk to Nazis, real Nazis, you know, not you and I, Um, you know, we we all have our lines in the sand. And I I don't want to, uh, you know, sit on on panels with people that, um, you know, would would criminalise, you know, the right to abortion and criminalise the right for same sex relationships. You know, I would just choose not to. But I want to talk to people with as broad a range as possible um, within reasonable thought and dialogue. In order to not even change each other's mind, but accept that we are going to be making up um, politics and society and thoughts and views that I actually want young people to be digesting. I want universities to become places of learning again. And I want working class people that aren't in universities to have access to thought processes rather than just bubblegum gum cod philosophies and conversations and and I think feminists have a huge role to play in this
1: yeah no I completely agree and like so for example I thought your interview with trigonometry was really successful in this regard right because that would have introduced you to a whole new audience who might not you know they might have heard of you but you know they wouldn't have seen you speak probably, and you know that kind of dialogue and obviously that's part of their remit um you know kind of speaking to everybody but you know you you came across as obviously as you are like really funny and friendly and i think those sorts of things i think are really really important so that we understand that um everybody has their reasons do you know what i mean and and where we disagree like some, maybe in some places we're going to always disagree but that doesn't mean we can't respect the fact that people have reasons for their position yeah. you know
0: I, I remember um back in the early 80s as a young feminist I took my lead from the women that I met at that time in Leeds. They were all about 15 years older than me. They'd, they'd all pretty much been through higher education and they, they were well read and I wasn't. And, you know, I was it was a very exciting time because we were fighting and battling and the stakes could not have been higher. Like I say, it was a time of, of the normalisation, um, proliferation of pornography. Um of the sex trade in general, of sexual violent, se- sexually violent imagery, um, mm. that was becoming really kind of everyday, and then there was the, the hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper, that uncovered the misogyny and, in fact, encouraged, you know, terrible woman hating, um, from, far and wide, and, one of the exciting things, of course, about being a political activist, as we all know. Is it you've got your enemies? Now, you've got your big enemies, so rapists um, and misogynistic police officers and the like, and then you've got the enemies within, and they're much more fun to fight. And this is where the problem is, because they're kind of ours, they're our tribe, but we disagree with them on certain things. And we had... So we were the revolutionary feminists. We thought we were great, you know, we thought that we had the world, the answer to everything. And then there were the socialist feminists and they were much more focused on... They didn't really centre women and girls. They were much more about, you know, um, going out to Nicaragua and helping the coffee-picking population and, you know, the the troubles in in Ireland. And and they were very, very much kind of moving away from those uh, struggles against male violence. And we used to wear badges with a sock with a line through it, meaning the SOC FEMS, we thought that was hilarious. We were so sectarian that we made our own badges saying we don't agree with the socialist feminists in as obscure a way that you could possibly even imagine. And now today I find myself big friends and colleagues with many socialist feminists who haven't necessarily prioritised male violence but are at the forefront of campaigning to reinstate women's sex-based rights women's place u k
1: yeah
0: you know women on the left, and I've always been on the left, but women who whose leftist politics perhaps maybe uh overrided those feminist politics that that I've always held dear i I just think, my god what what would we do without each other?
1: yeah, no, no, i think that's that's beautiful, and i I completely agree, and it's yeah i I think there are always these questions about alliances and allegiances and and you know there is uh, there are currently fights. Uh, amongst feminists who are committed to sex based rights about how far they work with people on the right who also think that sex is real <laughs> but maybe have different views about the relationship between sex and sex roles or you know and i think this is a kind of ongoing question and i you know i'm i'm in favor of talking to to everybody like i say i probably would be uh, in favor of talking to a broader range of people than you mentioned but i i've different reasons for that um, and I, but there's always these questions and I, I would say just on the question of like pornography uh, for example I think it's obviously I'm critical of pornography in the book and that's a position I've kind of changed as well and that's from thinking about it over the years and actually thinking about how powerful and destructive these images are um, and not only how destructive they are to the women involved in the making the films and the whole horror of the industry and how it's kind of spiralled into this kind of gigantic thing. But, you know, and, and and one way of looking at that, not the most important one in a way, but one other thing I covered in the book was the the NoFap movement, you know, where men are kind of taking a stance against pornography on the basis that it's harming them um, and that it's creating the, a destructive relationship to women. Uh, in, more broadly right because they're, they're sort of overcome by this shame and this pornographic image which they carry around with them in the world and it's very revealing to to read accounts by men who have become completely um uh, obsessed you know addicted to using pornography um yeah. and and my position which i think went from being a kind of more light-hearted one <laughs> in my 20s was has become much more like no this is fucking wrong and should stop. And you know, we people people are poisoning themselves and harming themselves. And that there are better and worse ways of treating each other. We shouldn't treat each other as a means to an end. It's absolutely immoral to treat women in this way, and also to treat yourself in this way. You know, like the the commodification of the body and this kind of um, the use of it in this in this way, and is is so disgusting and disturbing and anti humanist. Um, yeah. And and it's where you know, an issue
0: like surrogacy.
1: Right. It, it's, it's
0: where patriarchy meets the worst form of capitalism. Completely. And and it, it is, I wish that people would look at this from a socialist standpoint, even if they don't like the feminist arguments about female body, bodily autonomy and the like, you know, why, why there are those on the left that will support the surrogacy trade, because it is a market. Yes. Uh, I do not know. I can't imagine them saying that... Kidney brokers should be perfectly uh, legitimate business people because there are men who want to sell a kidney to get out of a uh, a dire situation in the global south where yeah. they're absolute you know where their their life is in danger. We will never have, I hope not, um, a legitimacy for the sale of kidneys. And why why the why the female body is seen as a perfectly acceptable uh, workplace, yeah. I, I do not understand the left on no, this.
1: No, I, I mean, I agree, I agree with you completely, and I think what's missing often when men in particular who claim to be on the left are, are actually selfish authoritarians, um, when they think about this, they don't actually think, because why would they, of the woman at all, right? The woman is merely, you know, it's not it's not about her experience or her feelings or what it would be actually to carry a a child that you then have to give up. I mean, I I spoke to, I had a conversation with a few of my gay male friends about this recently, um, and one of them understood the horror of surrogacy and said, look, gay men have to accept that they can't have children. This is part of the tragic beauty of what it is to be gay. And I absolutely understand that perspective, you know, that this is, it's not for everybody and you can't just get what you want. A child is not an accessory mm-hmm. or a you know, something you can buy and you can't rent a woman to do it. It's absolutely horrible. And another gay man said, Well, I'm selfish. At least he admitted it. He said, I want my own flesh and blood, and I don't care if I, you know, pay for a woman to do it. And said, so, okay. You know, so you have no regard for women as human beings in their own right. Um and it but it was kind of interesting to see those different positions. And I think Sometimes in a conversation or a dialogue, it takes a while for things to sink in. So at least that other gay man who just saw it purely as a matter of commercial exchange will have also heard the opposing position, right? And maybe thought, oh, actually, hang on, it's a bit more complicated than just, you know, paying a woman £2,000 in some poor part of the world, you know? Exactly. Well, um, I think that that's a very,
0: very good um, sentiment to end on because ultimately... We want the liberation of women and we may disagree on how we get there, although yeah. I think we, as we've established, we agree on plenty. But one thing is for sure that this is a problem for men and men need to address this. And, you know, the title of your book, you know, what, what do men want? Well, part of what they want, I hope, will become to live equally and happily with women because there's, yeah. there's no more war. And we've just got to find a way to end the war. Hmm. Plenty to think about there.
1: See you next time.